You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And this is not a spoiler-free episode. We will be talking about the series in its entirety, which as of this recording is up through the end of season two. So if you have not seen the first 20 episodes of Orphan Black, there could be some spoilers ahead for you. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about episodes 206 through 210. We are again, we are revisiting revisiting. the second season. And we have a guest with us. Yay! (laughs) Our guest is Yoniko. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. I'm excited. Is there anything you want to share about yourself, Yoniko? Oh, wow. I'm a Sagittarius. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you want, really. See, we started already. Do you, um, do you enjoy long walks on the beach? <laughs> I do, and, and walking barefoot on wet grass. <laughs> nice. But Yuniko has a couple of podcasts of, of her own. Is there are, are you producing either of them right now? Or is, is... I, I am. I have a, a podcast called The Thriving Solopreneur, um, where I share advice and resources and tips and tools for freelancers and solo entrepreneurs and people who are thinking about starting businesses. Because apparently I know a little bit about that stuff. <laughs> just enough to start a podcast. You know? <laughs> exactly. Just enough to be dangerous. Um, and yeah, and when I'm not doing that, I help solopreneurs create their own e-courses and live workshops. And I do launch strategy for people. But that's what I do in the daytime. <laughs> and in my spare time, I watch a lot of Netflix and a lot of Orphan Black reruns. So I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you. Yay. Yay. <laughs> we like when we have guests. Yeah, we we mentioned in our in our previous episode, since we are revisiting these episodes, we wanted to invite some folks to be our guests so that we weren't just repeating essentially what you'd heard us say before. We don't want you to get tired of us, is what we're saying. We are repeating ourselves and having somebody say something new. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that we're going to try to say new things, too. Well, sure. <laughs> so talking about the, the second half of season two, I, I tried to think of it in a story arc kind of perspective. And so I realized in episode 206, we have all of our main clones, meaning Kasima, Sarah, Helena, and and Allison. They all have some kind of surprise encounter where, you know, the the camera switches to find somebody and and the music kind of goes, dun, dun, dun. And... (laughs) And these encounters set up kind of significant little arcs for the rest of the season. So we see in episode 206, To How Nature and Her Wanderings, we see Scott comes to Dyad, and Vic comes to rehab to find Allison there. And then, you know, Helena, when she's in the in the police station, Grace shows up to take her back to the farming Prolethians. And then <laughs> Sarah, of course, she finds Mrs. S at Ethan Duncan's house. And all of these, I think, are setting up important little story arcs that play out throughout the last half of the season good call i hadn't thought about that but i I hadn't either but i was like the writers totally did that on purpose i absolutely (laughs) the other thing i really noticed was the arc that we see for kasima in the second half of the season it's kind of a sad arc i'm sorry but (laughs) always bringing it up though i know i know i'm i'm a downer on this podcast i apologize but in in 206 we this is right after Sarah has found out that Kasima is sick because Dr. Leakey told her at the end of 205. And Kasima is talking to Delphine about how 
like, oh, now Sarah knows and she's going to worry. And I didn't want to tell her until I had some news to give her. And and Delphine encourages her, like, you can offer her hope. We're, we're having this new course of treatment. And in that episode, we see Sarah call Kasima when she's in the archives. And Kasima tries to put on, like, a hopeful demeanor about her prognosis to Sarah, even though earlier on in the episode, she wasn't particularly feeling all that hopeful. But then by, by episode 210, by the season finale... They have that lovely conversation when they're lying in bed together, and Sarah essentially repeats what she says to Kasima in 206, that she can't really do all of this clone business without Kasima. And instead of trying to be hopeful about it, Kasima says, you know, you'll be okay. And it's just like, oh. It's pretty heartbreaking. <laughs> She's accepted she might not be around. No. <laughs> it's one of those things, like, it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, I kind of appreciate that she says that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, obviously she doesn't want to die or anything, but it's like, mm-hmm. don't worry. If something happens, you'll still be okay. You will survive. So I sort of, I, I appreciated that she sort of said that to Sarah, you know, in the event that Sarah needs to remember hearing that, you know? Mm. But Kasim's going to be okay, right, Nico? Kasim's going to be okay. I, I have faith. I think I may actually revolt if, if Kasim is not okay. <laughs> You will not be the only one. Uh, uh, she is my favorite clone, um, and I have a secret girl crush on her. Actually, it's not a secret girl crush. I was going to say, you just said it. <laughs> you have all, now told the my, internet. <laughs> yeah, all of my friends know. Um, but, you know, I also, what I also love about Kasima is that I feel like she is the, the, I hate to say mother hand clone, but I feel like she's a clone who is always trying to bring them all together. Mm. And when I even think back to season one, I felt like she was the clone who was the more welcoming of Sarah when it, when Sarah initially sort of stumbled onto this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas Allison, of course, had this sort of st- had this standoffishness to her. So, um, you know, and Kasima's the one who who says, you know, we're all sort of stronger together. And I, I feel like she sort of got that from the beginning. So I'd really hate to see anything happen to Kasima. She is sort of like the the mediator peacemaking clone. Exactly. The other thing that really struck me when I was revisiting those episodes, and really it's throughout the entire season, it just, it happened to really occur to me in the second half of the season, is again, we just see how important motherhood is as either a motivation, or or primarily a motivation for these characters. And I was particularly struck in the second half of how weirdly similar Helena and Rachel's motivations are. They both are, like, they really want to become mothers, and for Helena, this is possible, but she has to, to go... She pursues it, at least, through a very dark, bleak avenue. And then Rachel, who's been denied this ability to be a mother, she pursues these really dark, evil pathways because of it, because she's so distraught over it. Mm. You know, I also, when I I hear you say that, I also think of Mrs. S and Marion. Yes. And sort of their relationship to their their clone daughters, Uh, as well as, you know, I... There's a sense I, I'm still not sure on either character how good or how bad they are if they sort of you know fluctuate with the wind. So I see a lot of a lot of similarities in terms of not only the sense of motherhood and the relationship that they have with their daughters, but also sort of not knowing exactly what they're willing to go through or to do to protect their daughters and protect those relationships. So yeah, I saw that a lot as well. Um, for me, it stood out more with Mrs. S and with. Marion, though I think in part because I also see them as being very similar characters. 
Well, for sure, there was that conversation or comments, I guess, that bo- that both of them made toward the the end of the season, where you know Mrs. S is in the car with Paul, and she's saying essentially, "I'm a mother. You're going to have to go through me to get to Sarah." Mm-hmm. And and Marion also similarly, she talks about really respecting Mrs. S, and she calls her Sarah's mother, and she talks about being charlotte's mother and and that investing her in the fate of the clones in a unique way because she thinks of herself as charlotte's mother Mm. i think marion does sort of compare herself to mrs s at some point doesn't she i think so i believe so Hmm. but yeah the show's very good about drawing a lot of parallels between its characters which i like me too me three (laughs) Shall we talk about uh, episode 206? Yes. To hound nature in her wanderings. Which is, of course, the road trip episode. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. So what? how about you, Chris? What was sort of your big question from this episode that you, that you, that came to you on revisiting it? Why does Sarah <laughs> think it would be easier to have Helena stay in the car when they get to the church? I mean, I can kind of get it in the sense that, like, okay, maybe it's going to be easier to not have to explain the twins that are coming right. in. Maybe it'll be easier to not say, Helena, put that down every three seconds. <laughs> Helena's not really a researcher type, it's true. But uh, why would leaving her unattended be a better idea in Sarah's mind? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have that same thought because she says, you know, stay here. Don't touch anything. And Helena says, can I have radio? No, just stay here. Like, Give Helena the radio. At I least. Know. <laughs> Sarah, you have a kid. You should know how to do this. <laughs> I have that exact same thought, though. I think, Sarah, it just would have been easier to take her with. It's not like she was bringing in Helena and and Kasima and Allison, where suddenly it's four women who all look alike. It's easy to explain away twins, and they are twins. Like they they are. So yeah, it just seemed like like a bad choice on Sarah's part. Yeah, but you know, I um one of the things that I that I noted was that how the night before in the tent, Helena really called Sarah out on. The fact that if you knew where the swan man was already, you'd leave me behind. Mm. So I think there is that element of Sarah thinking it's just easier to not deal with Helena. Right. Or to leave her, yes, in the car, which I I do agree. Why would you leave this sort of (laughs) semi-psychotic person (laughs) alone in the car? Alone in the car. Um, But I, I, I do think eventually she comes to see that she has more power over what Helena does when she is sort of engaging in this sisterly relationship with her. And I'm skipping ahead a couple of episodes. Um, But, you know, there's a later scene where Helena wants to uh, kill Rachel and Sarah is able to talk her down. I think Sarah does eventually come to see sort of the the power of that relationship. And I think hopefully that she will start to see uh, the importance of tapping into that instead of treating Helena as sort of this annoyance that if she can keep her in a corner, it's better, you know, to do that. But yeah, leaving her in the car, I don't know why she thought that was ever actually going to work. But (laughs) if it hadn't worked, then we never would have gotten to see Helena in a bar, (laughs) which was hilarious. It was pretty good. But it is so sad to hear Helena say that to Sarah when they're in the tent that, you know, if I tell you what, you just leave me behind because she's right. She's totally right. As soon as 
Sarah doesn't need Helena. As soon as Helena's too much of a problem, she does. She leaves her behind. Which is further, mm. like, why wouldn't you just take her with you? Like, she's feeling insecure, <laughs> Sarah. Take care of your sister. <laughs> but that's me having too many feelings about Helena. <laughs> Speaking of Helena in, in the bar, I I had a question. I have always have questions about some of Helena's livestock comments. Sometimes they make sense to me. Sometimes I just have, have questions about them. Because she says, and, and Chris and I have debated about this prior to recording, <laughs> because she says something in the bar to the guy who is, is hitting on her. And it sounds to me like she's saying, I think you bed goats. But it sounds to Chris, like, or, and, it, and it says in the captioning that she says, I think you bad goat. It's definitely goats. I'll say that. She says it does sound like goats. That's fine. Because I I think she is talking about the group of guys because he's trying to get her to come over to his group. So right. Right. Either way, either she's saying you sleep with goats or you're bad goats. I'm like, what does that mean? Is that a devil reference with the goats? I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but uh, regardless, that comment made me realize that the only livestock that it's apparently okay to be on Orphan Black is a chicken. (laughs) 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 Mrs. S. Calls a couple of people chicken, and it's sweet, and I love it. But any other livestock, it's it's an insult. But you Cheap notice she's, she's clarifying here that they're bad goats. It's not that they're goats; it's that they're bad goats, mm. or that she that they bed goats. Either I'm, I'm st- it still sounds like bed to me, but I still think it's bad because <laughs> fine. fine. I don't want to get in an argument. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go with bad goat because at, telling someone that they bed goats, I just can't. I can't even picture that so <laughs> i'm gonna imagine it's bad goat <laughs> yeah, it's like i don't i don't even think that helena would say that but well she's kind of insinuates something similar in the previous episode though because she says to art I, he lies down with pigs you know <laughs> anyway yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but i mean to me it's like don't goats have sort of a reputation for being stubborn and aggressive yeah so to me that's what she's she's calling them out on being stubborn and aggressive hmm is the way I always took it. Nothing? Oh, sorry. I was looking something up. <laughs> I should have known. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. But here's here's my, my, my thought about the goats, because I do always try to see if there's some sort of biblical thing involved in what Helena says, because there's the parable of the sheep and the goats in the Bible, where oh. the sheep on Jesus's right hand are blessed by the God, by God and given an inheritance. The goats on Jesus's left hand are cursed with eternal hellfire. Mm. So th- that's my only other thought about the goats. Regardless, please call me a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think monkey is okay, though. Oh, Doesn't that's Felix true. Call- Felix calls Kira monkey, so monkeys are okay as well. <laughs> That's true. Not traditional livestock, but you but you make a good point. <laughs> I had that thought I, as as I you know was watching after reading this comment too. It's like, well, yeah, they're they're not livestock, but yeah, it's but, but it's they good are to animals. be a monkey too. Yeah, good to be a monkey or a chicken. <laughs> and if you recall, one of the 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 little girl that Helena was sort of playing with and smiling at at the uh, farming prolethian compound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She had a stuffed sheep. She did. That's right. Mm. And well, of sheep was the- an insult in the first season. Well, I don't know if it was an insult. If it was, I don't or know. Or just a name for the clones. If, uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah. With Helena. 
<laughs> well, that's I was I remember us talking about that because it, often, in, at least in religious terms, sheeper is generally a, a kind term. It talks about sort of Jesus's followers or it because Jesus was a shepherd. But Helena seems to use it as a bit of an insult. But it's always hard to know with Helena. She makes some interesting comments. Yes. <laughs> I, I also wanted to to point out that, of course, we get the introduction of Cold River in this episode, which seems like it could be significant, but I'm wondering, so I'm wondering if there will be follow-up on the whole Cold River thing in season three. And then I was also reminded when listening to this episode that there's that whole conversation between Paul and Mark in the bar where they're talking about Sarah and Helena's fate, like, oh, I'll take yours, you take mine, it'll be fine. I just, it makes me so angry. Because <laughs> it's like they have no choice. Did and you it just drives say, I'll nuts. take yours, you take mine? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you take yours, I'll take mine. We'll go our separate ways. Either way, it just, ta- they're talking about them as if they have no choice in what happens to them, and it drives me nuts. Mm. Well, actually, I think what drove me nuts, though, is that they're talking about them as though they can actually control it. Yes, exactly. Control either woman. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you think this is going to be easy, either of you. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Helena's yeah. like wailing on that dude in the background. <laughs> and it's to the which, best thing ever. To which Paul says to Mark, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how about you, Chris? Did you have any other stray thoughts from this episode? So many. <laughs> Watching the tent scene, how does Helena look so young in that scene? I know. And she then I just kept like having kid. weird moments because, like, they were cutting back and forth between Sarah and Helena. And I'm like, it's the same person, but she looks so different. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. That, I, to me, that's just the best part of the show, though. I, I honestly, when I'm, when I'm seeing each clone, I don't realize, I forget that it's the same actress. Mm-hmm. I still, to this day, think Cosima is a completely different person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I have that too. There are certain clones where I see Tatiana pretty okay in, where I think, oh yeah, that's the same actress. But when it gets to to some of the others, I completely forget that it's her. Mm. I think it's somebody else. I was having that moment. I think it was, uh, I don't know if you know, BBC America has started re-airing the series. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like at, I don't know, 1am or something on Monday mornings. Mm-hmm. It's like some ridiculous time and they air four in a row. But I was up late one night and I was watching some of them. And uh, yeah, it's, I was just like, I know it's the same person, but I'm so confused right now. <laughs> like still, which yeah. it's ridiculous. Anyway, it is. It is. Rewatching also, there's that scene where Cosima and Delphine are talking and Delphine says the thing in French. And would you, would you like to fill in, Stephanie? Pauvre Petitio. And then Cosima says, you're the puppy. So then I'm like, does that mean that Cosima knows French? I wouldn't put it past her. I, I even would, would would think it would be very Cosima to when she started getting interested in Delphine, if she started like checking out the Learn French in 30 Days CDs from her <laughs> local library or something like that, just so that she would be versed, even if she couldn't speak it fluently. I don't know why these are the things that I think of when I rewatch, but they are. Because <laughs> the, th- the thing is, like, I, I took French. I took French for several years in high school and college, and I didn't know Xiao as puppy. I only learned Chien, which is dog. So the fact that she, she knew puppy in French, it means that she, it, it, at least Delphine had said that to her before, or she had been studying up. I was going to say, that was the other solution, is uh, if Cosima doesn't actually know French, maybe... They've had this conversation before or something. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. I also thought it was interesting that Allison opens up to Vic in rehab. 
Because I don't think I was expecting that to happen. No. Hmm. I don't know. I, I guess I, I didn't think it was as odd. Just because I think that at that point, I, I feel like Allison, she didn't have Felix, right. <laughs> obviously. Uh, and, and not that Felix and Vic are the same character, or even similar characters or personalities, but I do see how she needed someone. And Vic is just the person who happened to be there who sort of had an inkling of what was going on, at least. Yeah, because I think we get the sense that Allison isn't comfortable talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. So maybe she had gotten to the point where she was willing to talk about the problems that she was having with alcohol and addiction, but she just didn't feel comfortable opening up to people she didn't know. And it, mm-hmm. and Vic, at least, she knew a little. He wasn't a complete stranger to her. Right, occupying yeah. that sort of specific place of, you know, acquaintance, but not anybody too close. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, he had you, you couldn't take him too seriously when he's talking about the Godhead, so... <laughs> the <laughs> Godhead. Like- <laughs> He probably seemed like a safe bet, a safe person he, that she could open up to. It's like, oh, nobody takes him seriously anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. I can tell him whatever, and nobody will, nobody will hold him to it. Hmm. There was also a statement in there, I forget who said it now, because I didn't write it down, because I'm a Kasima. dummy. <laughs> Says, we're stronger together. And yeah. I thought that was a good moment, and I think sort of is true of the rest of this season, especially. Well, that's and mm. I think that's what Yuniko was talking about this this comment that Kasima makes that really puts her sort of like a mother hen type of figure of wanting the clones be together as a group. Yeah, and you know when when you think about each clone, I feel like Kasima is the one who has her life the most together. At least coming into all of this, she seemed like the one who had the the could have the greater perspective about everything that was going on. Um, Whereas, of course, Sarah and and Allison, their minds sort of immediately went to, how is this going to affect my kid? How is this going to affect the rest of my life? And I think Cosima was a- able to really see that if they were going to get through whatever it is that was happening to them, they really needed to, to do it all together. I do think to some extent Cosima is the most objective about it. Right. Being both a scientist mm. and not having to worry about, you know, a husband or kids or whatever. Right. Mm. And Gracie tells Helena, it doesn't matter what I see. What, what is the context in which she says that? Oh, uh, this was, I believe, I think it was when she was at the police station picking up Helena. And I'm trying to remember what the further context was. And I don't because I also didn't write that down because <laughs> I'm a dummy. <laughs> is she talking about the how her father's oh i think it is she's talking about i think gracie's telling helena something about you know my father sees whatever oh, in you see some see something special in you or something like that and and that helena asks right. her about it and gracie's like it doesn't matter what i see right because helena's like well what about you because you know this is following you're the a whole, person you have whole, autonomy you tried yeah. to kill me and gracie's kind of like eh, it doesn't matter now <laughs> anyway but yeah, so I just, I, I caught that whole, it doesn't matter what I see. And after the conversation that we had with Melanie Killingsworth in our Prolethean episode, you know, we talked about how the women and especially the younger women were so subjugated in that community. Right. Anyway. Oh, and also, <laughs> Mrs. S says, I think she's talking to Sarah. Mm-hmm. 
she says that she got caught up in a struggle she didn't ask for. And so I'm like, how, Mrs. S? I want details. Hmm. Yeah, I'm guessing it's she might mean when Sarah was brought to her doorstep and it became so much more than just taking care of this this young girl. But yeah, I agree. I, that that comment. I always want to know more about Mrs. S- S's background, but uh, I had that same reaction when I heard her say that. Because we just we get these little bits of information and they're all very intriguing, but they're never enough to put together the picture. Mm-hmm. So I guess well done, Joe. <laughs> but. So how about you, Yoniko? Did you have any other stray thoughts about this episode you wanted to share? I did. I had, um, well, one thing that I, I didn't write down, but that had stood out to me was, um, you know, I really, I enjoyed seeing all of the, the fun and sort of tender or lighthearted moments between the pairs that, that we saw in this episode, including some that didn't, that seemed sort of out of left field, like, Felix and Art coming together and Allison and Vic coming together. Uh, and then, of course, you had Cosima and Delphine and you had Sarah and Helena. But I really enjoyed seeing the the sort of tender moments. And I do like that the show has enough characters that you get to see pairings that you might not normally see put together like that, especially Felix and Art. Because I feel like Felix in so many episodes is is the person who is picking everyone else up off the ground, right. right? He's cleaning up behind Sarah. He's cleaning up behind Allison. And here was a great episode where he was the one who was sort of drunk and falling down and, and, and feeling really down. And Art was the one who came and gave him a nice little kick in the pants. So it was nice to see that. Right. He came in and in a very gruff way, took, took care of him, in a very art way, <laughs> took <laughs> yes. care of him. Yeah, I felt like, and especially this episode in 206 and then in 207, they really wanted to give us some light moments to balance out how dark the show got at the end of 204 and at 205. Because, you know, Mm. the end of 205, that's where Helena is going to try to kill Rachel. And there's that really disturbing, upsetting scene between Rachel and Paul. It got pretty dark there at, at the end of the the previous episode. And I feel like they, they are trying to give us a little more lightheartedness in these two. Mm. I do appreciate how often the show does that. Like the show makes it a point to try and balance out the really dark, disturbing stuff, the unsettling stuff with bits of humor, which are also often dark humor, but still, you know, that there is stuff to find amusing. It's, Mm -hmm. it's important to me that they do that. Yeah. And then the other thing, the the one that I forgot, the thing I forgot earlier, um, because I didn't write it down, <laughs> like Chris, I didn't write it down. And so I was trying to remember if it was this episode, but there's a scene where I believe Sarah is asking Dr. Duncan why Dyad took over after the military scrapped the whole project. And he was saying that they Dyad wanted to see it through to the end and they mm. wanted babies. And specifically, he said they wanted girls. Little girls, um, yeah. Yeah, which really stood out to me. And it wasn't until later, of course, when we realized that sort of one track followed through with pursuing male clones and the other with female clones. But at the time, it that really stood out to me. And then later when they said that they were producing the girls, but they were leaving them, they intentionally were trying to make them barren. So that just was something that really stood out to me um, in this episode that I I sort of wanted to know why. Why were they just pursuing creating female clones? Yeah, that is definitely a comment that I don't feel has been fully answered. Uh, you're right. We do get this hint that there were two separate projects when pursuing the Castor project, pursuing, you know, Jenna, uh, male clones, uh, 
and then this one pursuing female clones. But I still feel like, what does he mean by that? This, you know, we mm-hmm. wanted little girls. That It's kind of creepy, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Especially without the greater context of knowing Ethan Duncan. <laughs> yeah. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect noise. <laughs> Thank you. So moving on to episode 207, Knowledge of Causes and Secret Nature of things, also known as the episode in which everybody overhears something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When will people on television learn to, like, go into another room? (laughs) Or close their door, Vic. Exactly. (laughs) Vic is just... uh, Vic would make a terrible monitor. He would. He'd be (laughs) terrible. (laughs) Uh, So let's start with you, Yonika. What was a, a... a question or observation that that was really a prominent for you in this rewatch. So there, well, there were there were a couple of things. One of the things that stood out for me this episode, uh, this was the episode where, and it's going to seem like I'm criticizing the show, and I'm really not because I love it so much. But this was the episode where I thought they had too many storylines going on, because this was the episode where Helena has just sort of disappeared, <laughs> not just from the scene, but from seemingly everyone's sort of memory, because it, it's like she's a little bit psychotic and she's sort of out there and no one really knows where. And, and you don't see Helena this episode, which really sort of, it, it didn't freak me out, but I was like, why is no one dealing with the fact that Helena has gone AWOL? So that was, was one thing that really stood out to me this episode was that I, I started to worry that maybe this was a point where there were just a few too many, not characters, because again, I do like seeing all of the different character pairings, but maybe there were a few too many storylines that were that were going on um, in this episode. It does seem a little weird that I, I'm used to clones sort of disappearing for an episode. I'll, you know, back in season one, we have episodes where there wasn't Allison or Cosima in an episode, so I'm kind of used to that, but... At the same time, you know, we saw Helena walking off back to the farming Prolethians in the previous episode and Sarah trying to check up on her. You know, she calls Art and says, can you get Helena released? And then there wasn't a whole lot of follow through on that. There wasn't even a mention of Sarah Mm -hmm. or Art saying, like, I don't know. She got released and I don't know what happened to her. You know, so Mm -hmm. I I can see where you're coming from in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's a a really good great bit of character development because at the end of season one, you know, we think Helena is dead and I'm, and I was glad for it. I was happy for her to be gone because I'm thinking she's crazy. And yet here I am by this episode, like, where's Helena? Why is no one worried about her? Like, I'm really seriously worried for her. So it was a really nice bit of um, character development that I think they did and a little bit of rehab that they did with this character, that particular character over the course of this season that I really enjoyed. I think one of the great things they did too is they left it off where she had gone off with the bad guys. So Mm -hmm. like at the end of that, of the episode before this, you're like, Oh no, I hope Helena's okay. And then they don't check in with her the entire episode. (laughs) And (laughs) they're, they're making us suffer. (laughs) It was interesting rewatching though, because like, as I was rewatching it, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it too much. Like, of course, it's like, you're concerned about Helena, of course. I mean, having seen it the whole way through before, you're like, you know, she'll be okay. Mm. But, but still, you know, you're sort of like, she's in the back of your mind. But it's not until you get to the end of the episode that you're like, wait, there was no Helena in this episode, or at least that that was the case with 
me watching it again because it's you know i kind of forgot which episode had which developments Mm. and all that sort of thing so you know not thinking about it consciously in terms of oh yeah she's not in that episode it was like you know the credits were rolling and i was like there was no helena Because I think we don't even get in this episode. I think it's not until the following episode where, no, because they're in Mrs. S's house, and I believe when this happens, where Sarah and Kira are making some sort of arts and crafts. And mm-hmm. Kira asks Sarah, like, you know, when will we see Auntie Helena again? Or where's Auntie Helena? And and mm-hmm. Sarah says, you know, I don't know. I was thinking that, too. So mm. it, it it is going back. It does seem weird that there's no even mention of the fact that sarah left helena behind at the police station but mm-hmm. but yeah i had the same feeling as you chris as i'm kind of like wait a minute they didn't come back to her where's helena <laughs> well it's just because like, there's so much stuff going on still yeah. that it's it's not something where you're consciously super missing her the whole time necessarily and then it's like everything slows down at the end because it's over and you're like wait <laughs> we didn't see her or at least that was that was how i was watching it this time but right yeah so how about you, Chris? What was your big thought or question for this episode? Okay, so in episode 205, Dr. Leakey is lamenting the fire that destroyed the original genome. I think this is in a conversation he has with Rachel. But then we find out, well, he's the one who was behind the fire, right? So what does that mean? I mean, they, they did explain later that, okay, Ethan and Susan, Ethan and Susan Duncan were going to take off with Rachel. I think they'd already destroyed the science, some of the science anyway. Because I think Rachel makes a comment about, or somebody makes a comment about how the Duncans salted their Petri dishes, which might yes. have been a metaphor, but I think they did imply that they had already sabotaged the the all of the, the sequences and stuff. Right. Well, well then yeah. Leaky responds with something about how that, that set the science back right. years or decades or whatever it was he said. Right. But... At the whole, at the same time, I'm kind of like, okay, but then Leaky still is the one who apparently was behind this fire that killed Susan Duncan, who was apparently the genius behind all this stuff. Yeah. So why would you kill the people who were the only ones who knew how to undo what they had done by destroying the hard copies of this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's makes me wonder about the sequence of events because it seems like a not a reasonable thing. Obviously, the rational thing is never to kill somebody, but it seemed maybe a more reasonable thing to do <laughs> if if you had the science. But if he they they had already destroyed it, it seems completely unrational to kill the person who might be able to to redo that science for you. So I, I do wonder about the sequence of events and how that played out. Irrational. Mm. Yeah, whatever. I don't know what I said. <laughs> you said unrational, and it was oh, irrational. Yeah, thank anyway. you. <laughs> no, but Words it's are just hard. I had a drink earlier. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. We understand. But um, I don't know. I just because apparently they knew that they were going to take off with Rachel, so I would assume that meant that they already knew that they destroyed the science. And I don't know. I just. I'm just uh, leaky. Why? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I took it though as um, I think it's Duncan who says that they were planning to also go public. Right. So I took it as mm-hmm. he started the fire, either to, uh, not necessarily to kill anyone or to harm anyone and keep them from going public, but to maybe keep them from having the proof they needed to go public. Mm. 
that's a good point. That's a thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't have any big questions from this episode. I just had a few short little thoughts. A, we see Sarah Stubbs at rehab supporting Allison, and it just made me go, Sarah Stubbs. <laughs> I like Sarah Stubbs. Can me she come too. back? <laughs> good old Sarah Stubbs. Yeah. And then I'm still left wondering, because really in in the previous episode especially, but in this episode as well, uh, Ethan Duncan comes off as kind of a dotty old man, but we see in the subsequent episodes that he still seems pretty shrewd. So I, I still am kind of left wondering, was he always that lucid? Was he putting on an act to fool who exactly? So there's still a bit of a mismatch there in regards to how he comes off, for me at least. Right. Mm. And like, is it dementia? Because that might kind of explain it, right? Like, maybe if he gets focused in on whatever it is that he used to do. Yeah, because you make also a good point, because when we see him being at his least lucid, it is in the evening. And people with Alzheimer's tend to be more have more clarity in the daytime and then fade it's like called sundowning in the in the nighttime so it's possible if he had dementia related to alzheimer's that maybe he was sharper during the day but then at night he would get less lucid and then finally i was just noticing that we see mrs s just kind of waiting outside of leaky's office the office to which sarah had to steal a pass key to get that far <laughs> and she's just kind of hanging out i'm like how did she do that but then i think oh yeah she's an international badass why did i even question it <laughs> i don't know but it's also daytime like maybe security let her through that far yeah i, I think that's probably that's more plausible <laughs> It's less fun of an answer, but... But I just like to think of her, like, evading people or having sex with people or whatever she did to get that far. Fair enough. Flirting with people. Offering them biscuits. Offering them tea and biscuits. This tea would have been spiked, however, I feel pretty confident about. I may have spiked his tea. (laughs) I think of Mrs. S actually just giving someone, like, a good, swift, like, Chop right to the throat and thinking about <laughs> That's what I see. <laughs> we need a web series. Come on, Orphan Black Creators. Yeah. Mrs. I mean, S, international badass. None of these things is anything I would, you know, put past Mrs. S. They're, no. they're all completely valid <laughs> options as far as I'm well, concerned. But, you know, the truth is probably that they buzzed Leaky and he said yes in her office. <laughs> it's just not as fun. <laughs> it's true it's true so how about you chris did you have any other stray thoughts from this episode i i have a note that says literally leaky is developing an artificial womb quote as as a hobby (laughs) great scott he's created life itself (laughs) can't do a leaky impression But I think we all knew what you were going for. Yeah. So yeah. it's an impression of an impression. That was more Sean Connery than, <laughs> yeah. than Leaky. But. but still, he's developing an artificial womb as a hobby. I think it, this, however, is definitely a reference to Brave New World, because that's how they 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 raised the clones oh, in Brave New right. World, was the artificial, artificial wombs. So it's definitely a reference to that, but it is still a weird hobby. Leaky. <laughs> <laughs> And the comment later, too, with uh, Marion Bowles, where she talks about his fecund jelly or whatever it was. Fecund (laughs) jelly. Your hands haven't been soaking in some fecund jelly, have you? And then he replies, as if it's charming, what I do in my spare time is my business. (laughs) Ew. Ew. (laughs) 
Also, why does Cal have people in Iceland? Okay, I did actually a little research on this because I was trying to figure out. <laughs> I, I like was, and I'm, the government is probably knocking down my door any minute now because I was like, Iceland hackers, Iceland <laughs> hacking. <laughs> You're on a watch list. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I couldn't find anything. I didn't, because like, you know, in Sweden, they have different policies around piracy and things like that. I'm like, does Iceland mm-hmm. have different policies around hacking? So I don't know. It's a strange place to have people, but I, I have no, I have no answer. I would like to go to Iceland one day. Me too. It's, I think it's really beautiful there from what I've seen in pictures. Exactly. Yeah. It's gorgeous. They've got like a museum of knitting. hence the draw for chris (laughs) iceland like icelandic yarn is like a whole thing anyway (laughs) nerd alert (laughs) also i can't believe that sarah passed for allison at family day because allison would never wear that Mm. very true i'm still wondering how like where Allison was that what was what was her Yvonne mm-hmm. that's her name right that Yvonne thought that she had skipped out because Allison we, last time we saw her was you know down by the name tags and getting her family seated where did she go that Yvonne thought that she had skipped out I think that was at about the same time that Allison got pulled aside by Felix to go help deal with um Vic I don't think he does that though does he because she just sort of shows up at her room later. Hmm. <laughs> Actually, that's a good question. Actually, yeah, that was Yvonne showed up at Allison's room just after Vic knocked himself out. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Which, of course, leave it to Vic to knock himself out. Um, <laughs> but or or you know to hit to the table pet, on his yeah, way down. Yeah, on his way down. But yeah, Yvonne showed up right after that. And oh, you're right. We don't know where Allison was. Yeah. The mm-hmm. only thing I can think of is that maybe Yvonne was like walking by Allison's room and heard them in there and thought that Allison was trying to skip out. That's my only plausible thing that I can think of. But the way that it, that she phrased it, it sounded like she was looking all over and where was Allison when mm. we'd seen, last seen Allison in the thick of things. Okay, headcanon. Okay. I think Allison like she ran needed off. to tinkle. Exactly. She <laughs> wanted to go tinkle in peace <laughs> without Yvonne wanting her. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's why Yvonne couldn't find her. <laughs> I don't know. I appreciate that Cal had the foresight to have Kira memorize his phone number, even though that means that something is obviously going to happen to Kira. I thought that mm. was sweet when, when yeah. he was saying goodbye to her. He's like, you remember that number we practiced? You can call me anytime. I just thought that was cute that they practiced. I like Cal as dad. Yes. I have a question about Cal, though, the, the scene in the RV, are we really sold on the idea that it was Dyad that was spying on him with the camera, or could it have been the military? Like, are you... I think it's supposed on... to have been Marion Bowles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because he says that they, you know, somebody from Dyad hacked me and I hacked them back, and that's where she, where he finds Marion Bowles and makes that contact. Although we okay. do know from an earlier episode that Dyad was keeping tabs on him. Right. But yeah, okay. I, I don't know that there's anything definitive about who it was who was watching through the camera. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Did you have any other stray thoughts, Yoniko, about this episode you wanted to, to share? 
Um, just the the scene between Vic and Allison when Allison confesses to watching Ainsley die. <laughs> that scene was so pri- <laughs> it was so priceless to to, to watch his face, but also when she <laughs> gives him the gloves and there's half a f- half a finger missing. <laughs> I am still upset on Allison's <laughs> behalf that Vic did not take the gloves. Take the gloves with him. I know. As a knitter, Chris is like, those took a while to knit, Vic. They're custom gloves. Who else are they going to be of use to? I'd like to think that he took them eventually, but she took them with him, with her, didn't she, when, when, he, when she overheard him on the phone? Well, mm-hmm. she found them like, right. in his chair because yeah. he, he didn't take them. And, uh, yeah. Which might have been a mistake, but he do- he still doesn't have them. I don't think. <laughs> don't don't uh, disrespect a knitter that way <laughs> by not accepting their gift. Just don't do it. <laughs> Offended. This is actually a great segue to talk about variable and full of perturbation. <laughs> <laughs> because I am full of perturbation. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Which of us is variable, then? Um, probably me. <laughs> so on to episode 208. Okay, so I had a big realization when I re- re-watched this episode. Big realization that made me think, Stephanie, why did you not talk about this before? And Chris is probably going to come along afterward and say, Stephanie, we did talk about this, you just forgot. But... I realized, because this is the episode where we meet Tony, right? And uh-huh. in the beginning, we see that Tony and Sammy on a presumably some sort of robbery job, they get ambushed by Suits, who is who is Dyad, presumably. Felix says as much by the end of the episode. Of course, we still don't know. That's just yeah. speculation on the characters' parts. So. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But they get ambushed by Dyad, presumably, and they kill Sammy. This is the same episode where Paul goes AWOL from Dyad. Since we learned that both Paul and Sammy were a double agents for the military, is what is insinuated by Sammy's message to Beth, is that why Paul disappeared because of what happened to Sammy? Did whoever put Paul within Dyad get, you know, they learned that Sammy had been killed potentially by Dyad and they thought, oh no, our double agents are going to be discovered, and so they pulled Paul out. Hmm. I honestly can't remember if we talked about this or not. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I shamefully did not go back and re-listen to all of our episodes. I don't think we have, because I just never put those two together before that I can remember, the fact that those things happen in the same episode. Because I, th- I remember us talking before about, okay, why did Paul suddenly disappear? But the fact that, t- that Sammy was killed presumably by dyad that would be a good reason for the military to pull paul out of dyad yep but then it's like well how does how do they know that sammy went missing did sammy not report back at a scheduled time but now i'm just thinking about it too much well or they just heard on the news you know sammy was found killed in a oh right a garage (laughs) oh oh obvious things i forgot what those were So that was my big aha potentially moment for this for this rewatch. How about you, Yoniko? Did you have a big aha moment? Um, not a big aha moment necessarily, but you know, it it. I think the biggest thing for me from this episode was when Ethan tells Rachel, Doctor Duncan tells Rachel that they were 
all barren by design. Mm. And that I'm just still, still to this day, I wonder why. Was that just so they could keep more control over the clones as subjects and not have to worry about them then having children that had to be monitored? Or, you know, I, I, I that I still want an answer to. And um, I'm not sure that we've really gotten one, but I, I just, I wonder about that from this episode. That was my biggest takeaway. It seems like there's a comment in an episode, I think from Kasima, talking about not wanting a self-replicating experiment. Rachel mm. says that to Duncan here, actually. Oh. And okay. Yeah, I know there makes, was something similar to that that she says, but... Yeah, she makes a comment like, well, that makes sense. You wouldn't want a a prototype that could reproduce. But that doesn't fully answer the question for me. I, besides, maybe it's just a standard practice in, in the scientific community. I, I, I don't entirely understand why you wouldn't want a prototype that, that reproduced. So I still have that question, personally. Well, I guess it is just, I mean, I can kind of see why they might do that in the sense that they're not fully sure what they're going to create. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there was, um, was it this episode or was it the, no, I guess it's the next episode. There's the scene with um, Henrik and the farming Prolethean children where he's telling them the story of Frankenstein. Right. Mm. So, again, this sort of idea of, like, beware your own creations or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm sort of reaching at this point. But am I making any sense at all, or am I just confusing the issue? Well, no, I had the thought, perhaps it's a, an ethical concern of not being sure if the if these clones did reproduce if like how their children would emerge you know if if there right. would be any major birth effects or something like that that's right because the, they i mean they don't know how what they're creating is going to turn out so you right. don't want mm. to perpetuate anything yeah that could go horribly wrong somehow right but at the same time because the ethics around the clone experiment are so shady it kind of makes me go Psh, like you were worried about yeah. that you know <laughs> well w would there be any concern over if a clone did have a child would that clone then be property of dyad is there do you think there would be concern over that the, the child you mean mhm mm well i mean they do mention that at the yeah, end of the first season so right it's an, it's implied in the what you call it the the patent kind of in the Right, because what, what do they call the the that piece of DNA? Um, that's not the right word, not patent, but the oh, mm. I'm blanking. Kasima says it in the beginning of season two, but you know that that piece of DNA that says you know this is property of so and so, as well as the any not offspring, but any derivative works. Derivative. I think was yeah. the yeah. way she phrased it at the end of season one. Right, and under that they could claim Kara is what Kasima tells Sarah. Right, huh? It's all very upsetting. <laughs> so how about you chris what was your big takeaway from this episode so delphine says that she thinks leaky was the lesser evil you know she's having that conversation with mrs s and sarah right so do you think we ever got a true sense of leaky's loyalties or priorities because he said a bunch of stuff but how much of it was true <laughs> mm. i tend to grieve just because I'm still on the fence about Marion. Um, and I'm still on the fence about uh, the military and, and their role as part of Project Caster. So I do, a part of me 
does feel like maybe Le- Leaky was a lesser evil, but I don't know if I if I feel like I understand all of the motivations behind the things that he did. Um, and I'm not sure if I feel like I got a true sense of, you know, was he genuine about some of the things that he said? Because there were times where he seemed really genuinely to care. And so I'm, I'm not really sure now, uh, you know, to know that he is actually the one who was responsible for setting the fire. I, I don't know. I don't know. I do agree that I think he's probably the lesser of of multiple evils, but <laughs> and especially <laughs> between a- him and Rachel. Yeah, I mean, at the time yes. that she says that I, this, I think the only people we know are Leaky and Rachel. So he's definitely mm-hmm. less evil than than Rachel, because we see the the tactics that Rachel employs to get a, un, to get under Sarah's skin versus how Leaky had approached her. But I agree. I feel like I don't fully understand his priorities i think he wanted the clones to be successful i think for sure he wanted to cure kasima he wanted to cure the other clones that showed signs of respiratory illnesses because he wanted the science to be successful but his affection for the clones beyond that or his loyalty to the clones beyond that i have big doubts about right well because I guess part of my issue is because it is very often Rachel versus Leaky and Rachel says something about how he can be too close to the to his subjects or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the shady stuff that Leaky does can sort of be explained away in that sense that it's something that, you know, some awful action taken to protect or what he thinks is protecting his test subjects you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like the whole situation with the duncans like he killed the duncans because the duncans were going to take away rachel and he wanted to keep rachel or keep her safe or something at least in his mind i'm guessing this is sort of though i don't know if i fully buy that i i i think he more wanted to protect the science he wanted to protect his experiment yeah i'm not saying it's not about the science i'm just saying that she is the science yeah you know what yeah. I mean? Things but he get, tries. Things he get tries fuzzy. to present it into in a fatherly way, and I don't. I don't fully buy that that spin on it personally. But then we get into like a weird situation where it's like, well, is that still? Would you still rather ally yourself with somebody like that than with somebody like Rachel? Because he will protect you, even if it's not about you so much as you know the science within you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm getting into all sorts of deep ethical <laughs> nonsense now but but these are the things that I think about on rewatch. <laughs> well, I just had a couple of of other moments that sort of stood out for me. I I love Scott's comment as well as the way that Josh Vokey says the line when he says girl fights are mean. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz like yes, yes they really can be Scott. <laughs> Which it never really ma- I anyway, women be nicer to each other. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It also occurred to me that the first scene that we get between Allison and Donnie, where Donnie's in in bed and Allison walks in, Allison's actually being uncommonly sweet to Donnie. You know, she's saying things like, "I know it's a lot to take in, but we can. Your wife is a clone, but we can deal with this together." But then she finds the booze and starts hitting him and dousing him <laughs> with alcohol. <laughs> I have to comment about this scene too. Like, I know you're in crisis, Donnie, but that's no excuse to be that inconsiderate of your wife. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's, uh, Donnie. No. <laughs> Well, not just of his wife, but essentially he's sort of semi-passed out in bed and the kids are in the house. Yeah. I know. No, Donnie, no. (laughs) 
But we did get to see Donnie in his underwear, and he's such a big, cute, cuddly teddy bear. So, you know. <laughs> I do actually like it when Donnie's running around in his underwear. I don't know why. It just makes me happy. I think it's one of those, like, it's it's a realness kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, he totally would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciate your authenticity, Orphan Black. Yeah. <laughs> so how about you, Yoniko? Did you have any other stray thoughts from this episode you wanted to mention? So I did have, uh, th- you know, the scene between Cosima and Delphine when she tells Delphine that you have to love all of us. That I really loved that scene. Um in part because I thought it was like spoken just like a true sister. <laughs> um, you know, her, her sort of reminding Delphine that you have to, you can't just think about what's good for me and all of this. This was a scene after, uh, Kasim, when they're talking about the fact that Delphine withheld the fact that, uh, that Kira was a match for Kasima. Right. So I really loved that scene. I loved hearing her say that in, in part just because again, it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Kasima sort of being this, sort of how she's able to see the bigger picture and not just see sort of her own role and all and how all of this is playing out, which at times I think Sarah and Allison are so sort of mired down in just how it's going to impact them, which of course it's, it's understandable because they do have kids, they do have families. Um, so I love that scene from this episode, but then something that really stood out to me is besides the fact that, you know, Allison would make a fantastic hit woman. <laughs> <laughs> When she looks in the trunk and she's like, this is not at all wrapped well or whatever she says. (laughs) (laughs) She would make just the perfect hit woman. Whereas Donnie, you know, not so much. (laughs) I do feel like Allison would be like a really good cleaner. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, she would. (laughs) You'd never find anyone that, you know, Allison had to like knock off or (laughs) you'd never find If you had killed someone in your house and Allison came behind to clean up, you know, you'd never find any hints of it. <laughs> no trace. But then there's there's one thing that I really noticed about about Rachel. I I like Rachel as a villain as much as you can really like a villain. Um but there's a part of me that wants to see her join up with the rest of the clones. Mm-hmm. Just because I see hints of all of the different clones in Rachel. She has sort of Kasima's intelligence and she has sort of Sarah's attitude and edge to her. And, you know, she's a little bit cray cray like, like Helena, um, a little bit uptight like Allison. So I see sort of hints of all of the clones in Rachel. And I'd, I'd actually love to see the dynamic if she ever joined with the rest of the, the clones. I don't see how that happens at this point. Right. I, was <laughs> I think going there's to say. been way too much that's, that's happened, but I would have loved to have seen something like that. But. You know, as far as villains go, she does make a great villain, so. And I think partially what makes her a great villain is that I do have compassion for her. I, d- I don't always like her, but I can have compassion for her. And I think that's partially why you you do wish that she could have been part of Clone Club and, and not have mm. been evil and awful all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, she's a, she, but she is a very good villain. Isn't right. she? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, the show is really good about that, where they sort of have overlapping characteristics and traits and qualities among the various clones so there are there are things that you see similar among all of the clones that yeah Mm -hmm. it makes it sort of that much more poignant that she's so hell-bent against 
you know, our group of clones. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I feel like as much as it might be interesting to see them all together in a friendly kind of way, <laughs> that that bridge has just been burned to hell, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah, with the pencil to the eye. Yes, that is what definitely. I mean, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It would have been nice just to have Rachel as part of the dance party in the final <laughs> episode. She would have just been sitting wouldn't? on the couch annoyed, I feel like, <laughs> drinking a glass of wine. Like, <laughs> I'm ignoring you. I'm ignoring like, you. Like maybe a tapping foot? <laughs> yes. At most. Cross, crossed legs, maybe one foot tapping, yeah. Mm, slight finger moving, something like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I kind of, as far as my thoughts for the episode i kind of love that scott already has a whole group of gaming buddies at dyad and he <laughs> calls them by like online gaming type names like kind of kind of mm-hmm. kind of what what do you what, like usernames that you would put on some sort of gaming group so i do wonder if he went on some some website to find other rune wars players at dyad <laughs> who knows or maybe they just have like a pin up board in the in the lunchroom where they, you know, they yeah, post, there you go. Where they post, hey, join the Rune Wars diet, you know, diet Rune Wars group. We need one more. We need one more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So here's my really weird. <laughs> I don't know why I thought about this, but I did. So Tony and Sammy were in Cincinnati. And in the pilot episode, episode 101, there was a note on the fridge at Beth's place, saying that Paul was in Cleveland. Oh. Is it significant, or is it coincidence that they were both in Ohio? Hmm. I like that. It's and prob- if it's significant, does that have to do with why Beth committed suicide? Hmm. It's probably not significant, but I like that there's that level there that you could speculate on if you were so inclined, as we are. <laughs> mm. We're in too deep, you guys. I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually like googling a map of Ohio to see how close because Cleveland like, and Cincinnati like are like different sides, uh, but they're yeah they're on different sides three of the state. But but Ohio is not that big, so you could that's a reasonable drive to make if you flew into Cleveland and Cincinnati, and they could and have met like, in the middle. Right, and I was thinking like, well, maybe you know, maybe the base where where uh, Sammy reports in is at Cleveland or something. I don't know. Mm. Thinking I like about that, it too though. much. That, no, that's a good catch, Chris. That's a good catch. Thank you. And I, I, I think are, are we assuming that Sammy was in fact Tony's monitor? Yes. Yes. And so, yeah, I could, I could absolutely see there being more than just a coincidence there. I mean, since Sammy's message to Beth was, you know, tell Beth that Paul is like me. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. At the very least, yeah, he was. He was. I think definitely Tony's monitor. But at the very least, he was similarly like paul kind of working both sides of the of the experiment both working within the lita experiment and working for the military Hmm. so many layers to look forward to in season three (laughs) uh and then final thought i love the scene at the lab up until the end obviously yes we don't like the collapsing and the seizure and all that so upsetting but so upsetting but Kasima telling Scott that she's 324B21 and Scott's reaction to that and uh, react like perfect reaction, Scott. I thought that was mm. so sweet. Love and then Scott. I love Scott too. And then meeting Ethan Duncan and, you know, the whole, you know, we're, we're like the three 
scientists from Dyad are all kind of like nervously excited. It's just, I think it's very sweet. Because mm. he's, he's sort of like a symbol of hope at this point, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, in addition to sort of being Cosima's dad, kind of, <laughs> you know. Well, and it's, it's especially interesting to think of that scene compared to when Sarah met Ethan Duncan. She was very angry toward him. Whereas Cosima, who has arguably suffered more from, from being a clone than Sarah does, at least physically, she's still excited to meet him. And, and I think that is a, a revealing of their different perspectives on the whole clone situation. But I think that has to do with the situations in which they meet him, too. Fair. That's fair. Because Sarah had just been on the whole hunt for him and lost Helena and, you know, she doesn't really know anything about him. And then she gets to him and she finds Mrs. S there. And Sarah's just got a lot of reason to be pissed off at that moment. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Shall we move on to episode 209? Let's. Things which have never yet been done. That is still such a weird grammatical phrase. <laughs> a weird phrase, phrase grammatically. <laughs> So I have to say, the the last episode I I would call my aww episode because I was I was listening to it at work and I there were several times where I had to stop myself from saying aloud aww because there would be sweet <laughs> scenes between people. You nerd! <laughs> I know, but specifically between like Allison and Donnie when she asked him, you know, did you ever love me? I was like, oh, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Kasima and Delphine, you know, saying that they love each other. Aww. But this episode, this is my ew episode. Because <laughs> of all of the implantation that goes on here. Implantation's just an upsetting word in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you, Chris? What was your big thought or question from this episode? So it occurred to me, and maybe this is me thinking too much about things as I tend to do. <laughs> but so Rachel steals Kara at the end of the episode... Much like Leaky stole Rachel from the Duncans. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, and she even has that comment, right, about maybe you'll even come to like it here, like I did, or something like that. Yeah, it's right. all very disturbing, the fact that Rachel is willing to do this thing that Leaky did to her. Right, but it's just one of those things, like, it. I don't know, for some reason, I don't remember specifically thinking about the fact that this is exactly what happened to her right in that sense that you know that she was stolen from her parents and so rachel is also stealing kara from her parents you know mm. anyway how about you me anybody which, which, which you <laughs> anybody whoever wants to go next well i um well uh, there were a couple of things one was um and i think stephanie you had mentioned this as well but the fact that we may see, I think her name is Bonnie, Gracie's mother. Is oh, it Bonnie? Oh, it's Bonnie. You're right. Yeah. I think it's Bonnie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seeing that we, I don't believe she was at, uh, at the commune when it, when it caught fire. So I'm, I'm thinking we're going to see her again, which I'm kind of looking forward to. Um, all of these sort of angry mothers flying around, <laughs> buzzing around one another. I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, because so they the say it specifically. Like, they have Gracie say to Henrik, mother's out west looking for more broodmares. So they establish she isn't there. They could have just mm -hmm. as easily not mentioned it. But yeah, I, I too was like, hmm, they mentioned it specifically. Is she going to come back later? Probably. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I, I'm assuming that there were 
several people who maybe made it out of the fire, okay, but I don't remember her being there. I remember her, you know, it being indicated that she was not there. So I'm thinking we may see her in season three, which I'm sort of excited about. Um, and then the the other thing was just, I, I love the scenes where Tatiana gets to play off herself. So she gets to play one clone talking to another clone. But I especially love scenes where she's playing a clone, playing, uh, pretending to be another clone. Right. <laughs> so we had her pretending, you know, had her playing um, Sarah, pretending to be Allison. In this episode, we had her playing Rachel, pretending to be Sarah. Uh, I love, I love those scenes. Although I have to say, I don't, I'm not confident that Rachel portrays Sarah very well, which makes sense since they've not interacted with one another very much. Right. Rachel would be less practiced at it, you know, because yeah. Sarah's life as a con artist really pays off in this sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rachel, sorry, Sarah is clearly the most, uh, the best at it because... Adept. Uh, yeah, the most adept mm. at, at pretending to be the other clones, even though she doesn't do that great of a job in, a, in the previous episode <laughs> at, at rehab. <laughs> well, there was like no prep time at all. No, there was no prep yeah. time. And she had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So, But I love the... <laughs> Tweakers and the I'm, hop heads. I'm, pretend, I'm pretending to be Allison, pretending to be Donnie. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, I I do enjoy. We got less of it this season, which which makes sense. But I always do enjoy when when we see a clone pretending to be another clone. I'm dying mm-hmm. for Kasima to try to pretend to be somebody else. She's the mm. last of our main clones who hasn't done it because Helena has, has pretended to be Sarah a couple of times, and Beth, and Beth, or mm. at least Sarah pretending to be Beth. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd be surprised if Kasima's any good at it. I know, but that's why I want to see it, because I feel like she wouldn't be all that great. <laughs> I feel like Kasima's Kasimaness would override any... She just couldn't keep her hands still. What exactly. if Kasima tried to beat Rachel? Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> that would not go well at all. <laughs> Disaster, no. Would it, Would there be, like, a bad British accent? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now I want to see it, too. <laughs> see? It could be great. The big thing that I noticed in this rewatch is is I noticed this great juxtaposition between a couple of scenes in this episode. Because we have this scene where Henrik is talking to Paul. Excuse me, not Paul. Henrik is talking to Mark about Gracie's future, essentially. Saying, I know how you feel about Gracie, and it's time for her to bear fruit. Yuck. Ew. And, <laughs> w- you know, will you be her husband? And we see Grace in the room at the beginning of the scene, but at this point, she's outside, right? So this is Henrik determining his daughter's future in this scene without any input from her. Yeah, they let her serve them and then dismiss her Mm -hmm. and then discuss what's going to happen to her and use the phrase bear Bear fruit. fruit. (laughs) Yeah. But the scene that follows, it's actually a couple scenes that follow is where Sarah is talking to Mrs. S and Felix about Kira donating bone marrow to Kasima. And that scene ends with Mrs. S saying, you know, this is not our decision, insinuating that it's Kira's decision. So it's like we go from this house of patriarchy, where it's the men talking about what's going to happen to this woman, to like the house of feminist process, where Mrs. S is saying (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. Kira's decision. And what do they do? They go up and they let Kira make the decision about donating bone marrow and i just really love the fact that they juxtapose those two sequences right next to each other and that's yeah. why our podcast will always champion mrs s right mrs s yes 
Although, you know, it is it is nice that it's Helena who points out to Mark later that maybe Gracie should actually have a say yeah. in what's happening to her yeah. body. <laughs> you know, right before Helena burns the house down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's nice that it's Helena who was, who was the one. Um, you know, I, I joke about her sort of being psychotic or crazy or, you know, whatever. But um, she brings a lot of just blatant sort of childlike honesty to situations a lot of times. And that was one case where I thought that was, you know, it was really, how could he not see what's so obvious, which is that Gracie has total say in what should be happening to her body, or she should be having a say in what's happening to her body. So it's nice that Helena was the one who, who pointed that out. Agreed. A few more things that I noticed there was that scene where they're all talking, all the clones, our main clone club is talking on Skype to each other. And Kasima's finally being like open with her illness with everybody. And this is obviously the first time Allison is really processing what is happening and how bad it is. And so it's kind of nice that the secret that Kasima has been keeping is out in the open. But we also see that Allison now has a secret that she's she's keeping from the other clones about about Dr. Leakey and the fact that Donnie killed him and he's currently in their trunk. <laughs> so it kind of felt like two steps forward, forward, one step back in that scene. I think he might have been in the freezer mm. by that point. Yeah, but yeah. good point. Good point. <laughs> good point. But yeah, I, I think that's, you know, it's sort of an interesting thing that they keep doing where it's the various clones are trying to sort of navigate this new situation with having sisters and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, well, how much do I tell them that they can, you know, maybe help me with this and how much do I keep to myself, either to protect myself or to protect them. Yeah, I I like it, actually, mm. that it's something that keeps coming up as, you know, issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, we know that Sarah has Felix. Do we know if any of the other clones have siblings, step-siblings or half-siblings? Or- Nobody's mentioned <laughs> any. That, I that think I, there okay. was a reference at some point to only children, but I can't okay. remember for sure. I can't I can't cite my sources. Okay. The other thing that I particularly noticed because I revisited these episodes and I was just listening to them. I didn't watch them, so I was more conscious of sound and stuff. And they put this like lovely gospel music over the scene where Grace is being implanted by Henrik. And I just think, why did they put such lovely music over this yucky, yucky thing? Because <laughs> I'm just listening like, oh, this is nice. I forgot what's happening here. And then I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I and remember. then you needed to scrub your brain. Yes. <laughs> Fortunately, I saw this comment before I watched the episode. And I'm pretty sure what it is, is this is like what is playing inside Henrik's, Henrik's head, head as yeah. he's doing this. I can totally buy that. So, uh, Henrik, since we're on the subject of Henrik, who is gross, he tells <laughs> Helena they'll be, quote, welcoming a brand new you into the world. And I was just struck by how that seems like such a weird thing to say to a clone. Yeah. I mean, it's mm. a weird thing to say to anybody, kind yeah. of, right? But especially a clone. Because it's a new you, but he means a baby. Yeah. Who is not technically... I mean, uh, I don't know. I've heard <laughs> I've heard similar things meant in, like, cutesy ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but- oh, little tiny whoever's running around and, you know. But, I don't know. In this context, I was just like, what? Henrik? Yeah, because there's there's lots of of essentially Helena's running around already because she's a clone. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like weird connotations to this mm-hmm. statement. Yeah, and it creeped me out. 
I think we should always refer to Henrik in our show notes as Henrik parentheses who is gross from now on. (laughs) (laughs) We can do that. Creepy, creepy Henrik. (laughs) That can be our new tag for him on Tumblr. (laughs) Henrik Henrik who who is is gross. gross. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to happier things. Shoot darn continues to be one of my favorite (laughs) phrases. Oh, Scott. (laughs) I love Scott so much. I just love Scott. Come back, Scott. We still need you. And as I mentioned before, it's weird to me that Henrik is telling a bunch of little kids the story of Frankenstein. We need to do an episode where we talk about literary references in the show. I'm not entirely sure. I believe that is on our list of of episode topics to cover at some point in the future. I'm not entirely sure how to like frame it, structure it, but I feel like we need to talk about it at some point. If anybody has thoughts or feelings about that, let us know. Maybe you can guest on the episode and help us figure out how to talk about it. (laughs) And any book lovers slash librarians out there, contact us. There you go. Also, Donnie says, this is how we take care of this family from now on, as he has a gun to Vic's head. (laughs) And I kind of think Donnie might be in over his head. A little bit. A little bit. But he's learned how to use the the safety on the gun. So that's a big step. Yeah. And, like, does Donnie think he's, like, I don't know, Clint Eastwood in any movie ever now? I think he does, especially when he calls Vic Essay. <laughs> <laughs> There's 11 Essay. <laughs> also, I'm curious about Rachel and Marion's history. Yeah, because they ter- clearly know each other from and have mm. a relationship, but what did that look like? Yeah. Right. And what is it going to be like now that Marion is helping... Sarah, because she didn't seem to hide the fact that she helped Sarah leave. Right. And, you know, Rachel, again, with the pencil in her eye, will not be happy. (laughs) So I just, like, I don't know. I just, I'm very curious about what that relationship is. Like, what, because they seemed friendly with each other, with Rachel joking about being bereft. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess she was joking. I don't know. Rachel's hard to read for me. I think she was... That that was definitely yeah. I think she was. Joking. There was like there was like a subtle smirk there. It it was it was dry humor. It was. I'm and then Marion kind of teased her about it. So mm-hmm. just like what what is their deal? Like how I don't know. And then I'm just like does does the fact that Marion is Charlotte's mother does that somehow give her fond feelings towards Rachel since Rachel's the sister of her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> or and then she- I think maybe I'm thinking about it too much it's okay we're used to it Chris <laughs> Stephanie's like I'm just gonna sit here and wait it out <laughs> wait out your weird rambling and wondering so moving on to episode 210 <laughs> <laughs> thank you yes <laughs> good moving on to episode 210 by means which have never yet been tried again weird grammar <laughs> <laughs> Do you well I'll let you I'll let you continue rambling first, Chris. Did you what were you, what was your what was your big takeaway from this episode? If we're gonna go with big takeaway, Rachel is such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Rachel fans. No, I'm not. She, Rachel she, is a jerk. Rachel is a jerk. She I have compassion for Rachel. I, I think she's been done wrong and manipulated in certain ways, and I, I feel sorry for her, but she I mean is she's totally a, a product of her circumstance, yeah. but she's not doing anything about it. No, she's 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 a jerky jerk face. <laughs> <laughs> and it's another one to put in parentheses. Rachel parentheses jerky jerk face. <laughs> Rachel, who's a jerky jerk face. <laughs> That's who Tatiana's gonna be. Henrik who is gross and Rachel the jerky jerk face. 
There you go. Sorry. Okay. Yoniko, any thoughts? Um. Yeah. Well, my, I think the you know the the season obviously left you with a lot of questions. Um, one being just what in fact does Project Caster want with Helena? Mm. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me is just like so. I, and I think knowing that um, you know, well, that right now they don't know that she is pregnant and i'm guessing that you know the implantation took which again yes that is such an ugly word Ugh, gross. Um, so it makes me wonder exactly what they wanted with her and then i it it also makes me wonder if paul knew going back to i think it was episode six the scene in the bar with mark did he realize that mark was a clone then or mm. is this something you know I, so we see a clone of mark in the I think it's a an an airplane hangar yeah. when they're transferring Helena. So I'm wondering, did he know then that Mark was a clone, or or it just has me wondering. You know, there's so many layers to all of these different characters, and there's so many things that we don't know about them yet, and who's good and who's bad, and does it even make sense to try to put them into that category? It just makes me wonder who knows what when and how much people knew it in different episodes, which. You know, it just makes me want to go back and watch again for like the 15th time <laughs> to try and figure out, well, did he know? Does he look like he knows in this episode that Mark is a clone? Right. Well, and he does say something to Mark, too, about military training. So, mm-hmm. mm. yeah. See? It's like, does he know stuff or is he just saying stuff? I yeah. don't know. It seems like maybe he should know since he's part of Project Caster, but... But is he? That was another question I came away with when rewatching this episode, because it seems like because he's working with Miriam Bowles, he's got a, a an alliance with Mrs. S, and I don't know if he's with Project Caster or not. I'm still unclear. I guess he is. Uh. That was a big thing that I took away from this rewatch was I've I've tried to go back and listen several times to what Marion says to Sarah about how the military never shut down the clone project and it's split into two branches one with the female clones one with the male clones and she says something about but i saw evidence of another agenda and that's what she's pursuing so is this a third thing besides project caster or and and project leader slash dyad is this within one of those two groups a collaboration between the two groups i'm still just kind of confused about Everything. Like <laughs> And would that be the Neolutionists? I don't know. That's the thing. Like, what is because she wanted information from Paul about Project Caster, I would assume she had access to pretty much everything in Dyad since she was a member of Topside. But where right. is this another uh, another agenda? Where is that coming from? What's the seat of that, I wonder? Season three. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is that what Paul and Sammy were investigating? Because I'm still unclear as to why they were sent into dyad as undercover folks well here's my other big question from this episode we know that the military had double agents inside dyad paul and sammy maybe others who knows do we think dyad has double agents inside the military good question (laughs) (laughs) i would i yeah it wouldn't be impossible but i think it would be more difficult to get double agents from dyad into the military Right. Than, than it was for the military to get double agents inside a dyad, but if I, I wouldn't rule it out, of course. Unless dyad like went after somebody who was already in the military, because we mm. know we know they're 
we know they've done similar things before. Yeah. Because they, you know, recruited Donnie, who already knew Allison, you know. Right. Who knows, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, the other things that struck me on this rewatch was, again, that conversation that Mrs. S has. I almost called her Mrs. Paul. I know you did. (laughs) In my mind, in my dreams. Mrs. Paul, international bad abs. Okay, that conversation that Mrs. S has with somebody, we don't know who, that Felix overhears, where she says, you know, Amber Alert is not an option when I tell you to make a bloody, a, a carbon, you bloody mill, well, make it. And I'm like, who <laughs> is she talking to giving orders to make a carbon? My goodness. And like, is she actually asking for a carbon or is or that, is that, that for hyperbole? Instance? Yeah, yeah. Or is it just her <laughs> asserting something very strongly? I don't know. <laughs> And then, of course, I'm always wondering about when Helena leaves Felix's apartment. Like, was she, where was she going? I suggested maybe she was going to go look for Jesse. Was she planning to come back? Why did she leave the embryos? I feel like she wouldn't know those might be helpful to Cosima. It's possible she might, but that whole incident where she leaves Felix's apartment, I still have major questions around around that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Thoughts on 210, Yoniko? My only other takeaway, though, or the only, <laughs> the only um, other thing that I sort of walked away with is just more questions about season three, and and you know, assuming that Rachel was going to be back, and really looking forward to Rachel with an eye patch. <laughs> um, though I still wonder, which I think will make her even more villainous. Yes, <laughs> if she comes back with an eye patch. Though we did have this conversation before. It's like, is it going to be an eye patch, or is it going to be some sort of super advanced bionic eye? Like, which is it going to be? I would, I think I would uh, prefer the eye patch personally. It'll be an yeah. eye patch for like an episode or two until our eye is ready. <laughs> <laughs> You've put thought into this. <laughs> And we got some feedback from people who are also rewatching. Greg sent us this voicemail. Hi there. This is actually feedback for Tatiana. As everyone, you have the this phone number for that, but I recognize your voice, so it's probably you. Anyhow, this is Greg. Uh, I was just listening to a discussion, uh, the discussion of Rachel while out for a morning jog, when the following thought has struck me. Will viewers ever meet the clone mom? I mean, sure, the clones were designed but I don't remember anything saying that they were designed from scratch. So could it be that there's a source parent from whom the raw genetic material was designed from scratch? Could that be, you know, could there be a source parent um, somewhere out there? I was just thinking in terms of Tatiana playing different roles that expand the envelope. This would give her an opportunity to play old in a different way because the source could be everything from the cells taken, you know, from an infant to the cells, already taken from somebody who was 50 years old and is now in their 80s. So anyhow, I wonder if this has already been an orphan black theme that's been discussed or something that has not been yet considered. Thanks. Obviously, we we don't have the answer here. I I see what Greg is talking about in that it would be a neat opportunity for Tatiana to play yet another version of this particular set of DNA. However, I wonder if it's at all pertinent to the story it it could be because i think a, a big theme is how science has manipulated and used these women and bringing in the the original the source of the dna material it could resonate with that theme but 
it's the show is so focused on the clones themselves and what it means for their lives to be embroiled in this experiment that I I don't know if the story of the original would fit within the context of the series. Right. And as a side note, and this is just like a ridiculous random thought that I'd had at some point, maybe not ridiculous, but it had actually crossed my mind at some point that maybe Susan Duncan was actually part part of the source material. Hmm. I yeah, because I they I've kept seen- talking about how how the original genome was lost in the fire. Right. That killed her. See? Right. See I don't think that that's really where that's going, but <laughs> I you're not the only person to have wondered about that though. I think I've seen other people speculating online about it as well. However, I, I think you're right. I I don't think that's where they're going with the story. But you never know. We also got an email from Franzi, and Franzi said, I'm still worried that Cal has some kind of connection to the Prolethians. And have you ever noticed that there are a lot more little girls than boys at the farm of the Prolethians? Any thoughts on that? Chris, any thoughts? Well, first of all, I don't know that there's any reason to think that Cal has anything to do with the Prolethians. Not that he doesn't. I mean, we don't know, but I don't think there's anything indicated in the story. Right? I agree. I don't entirely know what it is about Cal that has Frenzy worried or what they've said about Cal that has Frenzy worried about that connection. So not, I'm not saying she's she could be right. I have no idea. But I can't think of anything that made me worry about that possibility. Right. If anything, there's vaguely more connection to the military. So I don't he know. He seems too technolog- technologically hip to be a Prolethian. Granted, you know, Henrik used all sorts of insemination devices and microscopes and what have you. But I don't know. He just doesn't fit with the, what we've seen of the Prolethians, in my view. Aside from living out in like... Living on a farm. A rural area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. And yes, I did notice that there were probably more little girls than boys at the farm on the, the Prolethian farm. But <sighs> I don't know. Does does that mean that you think it's some sort of uh, uh, like a Game of Thrones situation, Francie, with the um? Now I can't think of that guy's name. And I made a weird reference to anybody who does not watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> I wonder if it might just have been an, an echo of what was suggested from what we saw of the adults in the community. There seemed to be a lot of women to fewer men. So it could just be that visually they wanted to echo that same dynamic because this idea that Henrik was, from what we, from what is indicated, was impregnating a lot of women with his his children. Maybe they were just echoing that with the composition of the children in the classroom. But those are my only thoughts. I don't know. It has creepy implications, though. Yes. So thank you to Greg and Francie for sending us that... uh that feedback. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the second half of season two. We're getting so close to season three, you guys. Yay! We can You can go and leave comments over on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 61. You can also send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. Or you can also send us a voicemail by calling our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. We're on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. 
And we'd like to give a huge, huge thank you to Yoniko for joining us for this episode. Thank you, ladies, for having me. This has been so much fun. I'm looking forward to the new season and to new episodes from you guys as well. Yay! New season. We're so excited. (laughs) I make my online home at yonikaevans.com. That's Y-O-N-E-C-O, Evans, E-V-A-N-S, dot com. Uh, And I am at Yoniko Evans on Twitter, which is probably the second best way to find me on Twitter. I like that you had to think about it, even though it's your name. <laughs> Did you have a moment where you're like, is I it, couldn't remember. Is it Yoniko <laughs> underscore Evans? <laughs> I, was tr- I was actually thinking, wait, is it at Y Evans? Am I just at Yoniko? I can't remember. <laughs> so she- you don't use Twitter a lot, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I do, actually. I just couldn't remember. Because I used to have two Twitter handles. so I could, uh. And one was at Yoniko and one was at Yoniko Evans. So, but yeah. But find out the long one with both the names. <laughs> We'll, we'll put it in our show notes. We will. We will. And in this episode, Henrik, who is gross, and Rachel, who's a jerky jerk face, were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. <laughs>